I love thee. What a great song that is. My Jesus, I love thee. Deuteronomy chapter number 13 here this evening. And uh, we'll be uh, back here in this passage here. Um, we are uh, preaching through the book of Deuteronomy for the purpose, uh, for many purposes. One is the reason is that this is uh, a key part of the life of Moses, and that was, uh, it's been one of our studies is the life of Moses. But another thing is that occurred to me is that the book of Deuteronomy is um, sometimes these Old Testament books are sometimes left out, and we don't hear them very much at church, and uh, they need some attention and some drawing to it. And also, another thing is that uh, there are also many times misunderstandings about what is going on in uh, some of the law and some of what's happening in the book of Deuteronomy. And sometimes we, we might hear uh, something uh, like we're going to hear tonight, and, and you, and you kind of know a little bit about what that is about, and you kind of know a little bit about what's going on there, but you don't really know, we don't know the full story sometimes. And uh, it's helpful when we can uh, kind of uh, put the puzzle together. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, built a puzzle and you lost maybe two or three pieces at the end? And, uh, man, that's frustrating, isn't it? And it's like, man, I just want, want to complete the puzzle. And when you finally find the pieces and you put them in, and it makes it feel complete. And uh, I hope that maybe some of these uh, teachings tonight uh, will, and throughout this particular series, will be able to put some pieces in the puzzle uh, for us as we study out the book of Deuteronomy uh, in uh, these uh, few moments that we have uh, together here tonight. Now, it has not been our custom to read these uh, three chapters, uh, but we are just going to uh, be concerned with summarizing them and finding out the practical details behind them. But the night's message I've entitled as this is, Be Careful How You Live. Be careful how you live. And in chapters 13, 14, and 15, I find that Moses is concerned with particular aspects of the people's lives. He's concerned with uh, every aspect of people's life. And the number one guiding principle for us tonight will be this, is that God is concerned with every aspect of our life. And uh, I'm not saying that God is a nitpicker or a nagger, or anything like that, but God is definitely concerned with every aspect of our lives. And these few chapters prove to us that very thing. And really, God should be concerned with every aspect of our lives. Are you putting a demand on God? No, I'm just saying that that would only seem natural to us because He's the one that made us, right? So uh, uh, we have our children, and so we're concerned, especially when our children are very small, about every aspect of their life, and especially mothers, are they not? Uh, I mean, they're concerned with what shoes they wear and what socks they put on and all those kinds of things. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i just go in there and grab a headband. I don't care what color it is and just throw it on them. Go get a headband. I don't, you know, well, she'll say, no, that doesn't match. That's not the right one. Or I mean, I mean kid, girl, women are concerned, mothers are concerned about every little aspect of their children's life, and, and they have a right to be, amen? Okay, good, I got one mother on that, and uh, amen, moms, uh, you've got a right to be, because that's the child, I mean, you bore that child, right? I mean, you for nine long months, uh, and then you had to uh, go through the labor and all of the rest of it, and the sleepless nights, but uh, God is concerned with us, God loves us, 
And he is concerned about us. He has a right to be because he made us. And also he understands us and he understands how we work. He understands what we need in life. And uh, he understands what will help us and what will hinder us. What will stunt our physical growth as well as our spiritual growth. And the key tonight for us will be this, is that God does everything for our good. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 tells us this, And the Lord commanded us to do all of these statutes, that means the commandments, to fear the, God, all, for, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. For our good always. That He might preserve us of life as it is this day. Do you realize that you and I, in this world, we have, there is a God that is good. God is good. God is good. People sometimes ask, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's a great question. I understand that question, and I've thought that over myself many a times. I'm not here to answer that specifically, but other than this to say this, is that whatever God does in his plan and in his will, it is good. Why? Because he is good. That's why. And he cannot do bad. He cannot do bad. The simple answer to the reason why bad things happen to good people is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world that's been cursed by sin. And that's not going to change till Jesus comes back again. But the fact remains tonight is this, is that God has established these commands that are here in these verses for the good of Israel. That's why he gave them to them. For their good, for their help. And I believe today and tonight that we're going to see that many of these things are still practical and applicable to you and our life here this evening. These are practical chapters, especially for the Jewish lifestyle. And though I will uh, grant you tonight, as we'll see here in just a moment, that not everything in these chapters we will prescribe to ourselves. For instance, uh, we're told in uh, Deuteronomy 13 that if a false prophet arise amongst you and tells you to go worship false gods, then you are to uh, kill him. All right? I'm not ascribing anybody to kill anybody tonight. All right? All right? Does that make, make sense? All right? I'm not putting that out there. No killings, please. All right? Remember, and there's, there's, there's laws here uh, that talk about uh, whether or not eating pork is right. Uh, there are laws here tonight that uh, deal with tithing, uh, but not tithing with money, but tithing with corn, wine, and oil, all right? Um, I haven't seen, didn't see any uh, flagons of wine or uh, olive oil in our offering plate here this evening, all right? Uh, so... Uh, didn't see our bags of corn, didn't see that, so, so what's happening there. There's also, uh, tonight we see the, the matter of, of having and releasing those that are put into uh, really what we would call and understand it, we might call it slavery, but really it's what it's called indentured servitude, where people work off the fines that they had built up. And this was something that God allowed uh, for various reasons. Of course, we're not uh, advocating for that either here tonight. Uh, we have to understand that what we're talking about here and have to understand is that the church and Israel are two different entities underneath one umbrella. 
underneath one umbrella, and that is God Almighty, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. Is that God worked through Israel just as he is now working through his church. That God had established Israel as a nation. Remember the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus? Those are national laws. These were laws that the nation were to uphold. Just like we have laws in our nation. None of us would think that we should take our laws in our nation. This is not a perfect illustration. I understand this, but see where I'm going. None of us would think I should take our laws in our nations and apply them to another country. Does that make sense? We wouldn't say, well, our laws are just as applicable to you that live in Norway. All right? We wouldn't say that. And so it is with some of these laws that we see here tonight is that these are definitely, many of these things deal with the national state of Israel, with Israel itself. Not the Israel of today so much, okay? All right? But the Israel that is here in our Old Testament scriptures and in our New Testament scriptures. Though if they were to follow God, they would go back to these things, but they don't. We know that, and uh, by just the simple fact that they don't offer sacrifices anymore. Uh, They do not offer those anymore. And so the point being is this, is that we're going to see tonight from these particular chapters that God can help us to have a fruitful and Christ-honoring life by pulling out the principles and applications and by relying on this one key thought right here, this one key thought, like I said earlier, is that God is concerned with every aspect of our life for our good. For our good. So that we can be prosperous, godly, Christ-honoring, fruitful believers in the Lord. The first thing that I'd like to point out to you in chapter 13, and again, I won't read them all to you, but chapter 13 is broken up into three simple divisions. Verses 1 through 5 deal with the false prophet. Verses 6 through 11 deal with the false family member. And verse number, verses number, in the last verses, verse number 12 through 18, deal with the false city. And I say false in this, is that he is telling them that if anybody rise up that is one of your family members, or somebody that's a prophet, or somebody that, or a city rises up, a whole entire city rises up and says, we are going to go worship false gods. God says, have nothing to do with them. God says to separate from them. God says even, and this is where I'm talking about capital punishment that we're not ascribing to ourselves, but God says even to kill them. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is this, is that if death was to be warranted for somebody that uh, was not following God and went after false gods, then God commands that the person that is going to stone them first is the person that's bringing the accusation. You know, why would God do that? To prevent false accusations, right? If I knew, if I, and Brother James, I love you, all right? But if I knew I was going to accuse Brother James of something, all right, and he was going to potentially die for it, But if I knew that it had to be me that had to pick up the first stone, I'd think twice about it. 
I wasn't just putting this off on another judge, on somebody else. God is saying, no, you have to make sure that person knows. And then he says this. He says that it must be in the sight of two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses must be able to say that, hey, he said this. Hey, he did this. Hey, they tried to get us to worship false gods. And so verses 1 through 5 concern the false prophet. He said, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and give you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass, and he says, let us go after other gods. He says, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of the dreamer. How does this apply for us today? There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33 that says this. It says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have, the knowledge of, some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, today in the world that we live in, that there are still false prophets. We're not commanded to kill them. But in Matthew chapter number 24, verses 4 through 11, is that we are warned about them. Anybody that claims that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and that is not fully man and fully God is a false prophet. That's a false prophet. Anybody that claims and says that you can be saved other than Jesus Christ, that would be a false prophet. Anybody that says that you've got to add works to your salvation, that you've got to be a good person in order to be saved, that would be a false prophet, all right? We're not to kill them, but we're to separate ourselves from them. We're not to be with them. We're not to, we're not to buddy, buddy with them, all right? That doesn't mean that you never talk to your coworker that believes in something that's false. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying somebody that's a false prophet, I'm not somebody that's saying that's been lied, that, that has been uh, deceived into believing something that's wrong. I'm talking about somebody that's trying to promote these things, that's trying to convince other people, hey, come worship this, come do this, come, come to, why don't you just come to our church for a little bit? You know what? You need to say, no, thank you. Why don't you come to my church and hear the truth? Here, here's the truth. It's the word of God. Let me show you, let me show you, let me help you. Let me show you where you're wrong with that. You see, there are false prophets still in this world that we live in. And we have to separate from that. We can't buddy-buddy with that. We have to be careful with that. And then he talks about there are sometimes there might be somebody, if thy brother or sister or thy son or mother or thy daughter or thy wife or thy bosom or thy friend, which is thine own soul, like in that which is, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you. Verse 8, thou shalt not consent unto him nor hearken unto him do you know that sometimes there are going to be people in your life not just false prophets but you're going to have family members friends and relatives that are going to try to get you to do what's wrong try to steer you away from the right way from the good things there might be somebody in this church here this evening in this in this assembly tonight that if you were to tell them hey i went to this church tonight and you told that to a family member, they might get mad at you. Or they might say, you better not go there. You better not listen to what they're saying. They're trying to, they're trying to get, get one over on you. They're trying to, and listen, what I'm trying to do tonight, we're just trying to get the word of God in you. We want the word of God to be clear and plain. 
We've got to be careful. There's going to be people out there. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whenever I got saved, I was thinking about all these friends that I had, and I was thinking about my family, and I was thinking about all this stuff, and I was thinking, man, before I got saved, I was thinking, what will they think about me, or what will they say about me, or what will the people think about me uh, if I trust in Jesus? And this thought occurred to me that I believe was given to me from another time I heard somebody preaching, but this thought ran across my mind, and it was simple. It was as if the Lord, and, and I'm not saying the Lord, you know, came down with a 40, as a 40-foot Jesus and talked to me at the foot of my bed, all right? I don't think that, that didn't happen, all right? But it was as if God just spoke into my ear softly and said, are you going to go to hell for somebody and what they think about you? Are you going to spend eternity without in hell, because you're worried about what somebody thinks about you? I truly believe it was that question that God supplanted in my brain at that very moment that I said, no, Lord. No, God. You're exactly right. I want to trust Christ no matter what. Have you trusted Christ no matter what? Who are you listening to? I'm not even telling you to listen to me. I want you to listen to God. I want you to listen to the Bible. If somebody's not willing to open up the Bible and explain to you about the things of God and show to you the scriptures and answer your questions according to the Bible, you better watch out for somebody like that. It doesn't matter if they're a friend or a relative. Or if they claim to be a good preacher, be careful. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I would even say, he says in verses 12 through 18, he says he talks about the city. There, he said there might be a city that rises up and the whole city says, we're going to worship false gods. He says, don't go near that city. In fact, you're to gather all of Israel and to come against that city and attack that city and, and, and burn that city to the ground. In fact, you're not even to take of the stuff of that city. He says, make sure you separate it from there. Now, listen, I'm not saying let's burn down Austin, okay? All right? I hope that, you know, if, this, if COA is watching that here tonight, I'm not saying that, okay? All right? But what I am saying is this, is that we've got to be careful sometimes of the city that we live in. You know, cities are very interesting places. Cities are places where, where drugs and alcohol and sin can abound, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to find ungodly things in a large city than it is in a small country town. I mean, it's just, that's just simple. That's simple to understand. And so we have to even be careful with the cities that we're in. In fact, in cities, there's less accountability because you can go into a city and, man, there can be 100,000, 200,000, a million people there, and people might not even know you. The principle is clear with all three of these, with the false city, the false friend, and the false prophet, is that all three of them teach to us that, with, that know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? It doesn't take much leaven. It doesn't take much leaven to leaven a piece of bread, to, to get a loaf of bread going. 
And so it is with these false doctrines and teachings in our life. Be careful. Watch out for them. Hey, you say, man, I'm grounded in my faith. Hey, that might be true, and that's great, and I hope that you are. But listen, don't put yourself underneath somebody that's teaching false things. Stay away from those things. Be careful who you're around. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. It will corrupt our lifestyle. The second thing of this is that uh, be careful how you live is that be careful over what you do. Be careful what you do. In chapter number 14, he outlines four different things. He outlines our body. He outlines our diet. He outlines and he outlines what we should do with our, our three things, our diet, our money, and our body. He says, you got to be careful with these things. Be careful that you don't act like the heathen uh, in the land. In chapter number 14, he says, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes of the dead. For thou art an unholy people unto the Lord. And the Lord hath chosen to be the peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. What does that mean? He says, be careful with your body. You know, God's oftentimes been concerned with our bodies. You know, the New Testament still lets us know that our bodies as Christians are temples of the Holy Ghost. Now, before you got saved, you might have done some things with your bodies that you are ashamed of today. Listen, uh, don't dwell on those things. Don't, don't go back and, and, and bring that up. Listen, it's under the blood, my friend. It's under the blood. Let God, that, that's God's taking care of that, you know, I was even witnessing to a man the other day and, and uh, talking to him about the Lord. And, uh, and, and he wasn't saved. He wasn't a, he wasn't a believer in Christ. But uh, he kind of he had a, just a tank top on and he had some, uh, he had some uh, real vulgar tattoos that were uh, up on his chest and around his arm and, and everything. And he, and he looked at me and he kind of looked at me. I said, man, are you a Christian? And he kind of looked at me and he said, <laughs> he, said he just kind of pointed at it and he said, man, I'm not a Christian. And he looked at, him, looked at himself. You know, listen, man, those tattoos, that doesn't stop you from being a Christian. Amen? That doesn't stop somebody from being saved. Okay? People worry, I've just done so much in the past, and I'm, look what I've done, and all these kinds of things. Listen, my friend, God is not so much concerned about what your past is like. He's concerned about your present condition. Because you can't change the past. You can't change what happened back then. But what you can change is this, is that you can change your future destiny. And has your future destiny be changed? Have you changed in your life? He says, man, he says, when you're in this new land, you're a different people. You don't act like the other people. Your life has been changed. Your life is different now. You don't go around when, whenever you have a funeral. Back in those days, in the, at the heathen funerals, they would cut themselves open and they would bleed every, everywhere. He said, man, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, don't shave your heads and, and cut the, 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 the hair in between your uh, 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 eyebrows right there. You say, man, I, I, is it in my sinning if I like trim up my eyebrows? You know, the idea was that actually what would happen at a funeral service sometimes is they would shave the middle part of their eyebrows and maybe even all of their eyebrows. And then they would shave half of their head up to here as a symbol of uh, to... Uh, to the dead. 
It was something to respect to them. Even some Chinese Americans did that. It was called a cue, like a cue ball. And, uh, and it still was a, it was a popular haircut that was back then. But what I'm saying is this, is that God is concerned about every aspect of our life. He's concerned about everything. Everything. You know, we still see this today. We don't think of tattooing as, as uh, cutting yourself. But if you've got a tattoo, you know what happens. You bleed, right? You bleed. Because it's placing the ink underneath the skin right there. All right? And so now that we're saved and, you know, grandma dies... You know, we don't go out and say, you know what, I'm going to get a tattoo of rest in peace, Grandma. You know what I mean? And that's a tacky tattoo, okay, all right? Don't fault me for that, all right? It's just my best illustration I can come up with. You know, we don't get RIP, Grandma, you know, 19, you know, whatever to 2023. Because we're saved. Does that make sense? That's what happens. Our life has been changed. Now you say, when I've got a rest in peace tattoo, does that mean I can't go to heaven? Listen, you're still thinking in the past, and God is concerned with the future. Amen? God's concerned with the future destination. Where are you going when you die? These applications that we're applying here are to those that are to us here tonight that are saved, that have trusted Christ. The second teaching he brings up is the diet. And this is the one that everybody likes to talk about, right? This is the one that everybody uh, uh, jumps on. Verse number three, thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which you shall eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the harp, that means the deer and the roebuck, gazelles and all these kinds of things, the wild goat, the pargard, the wild ox, the camos, uh, all of these things. He says you can eat these. Eat the thing that parts the hoof and, uh, and cleaveth the cleft in two claws and cheweth the cud among the beasts that she shall eat. Like a cow, it has a split hoof, right? And it chews the cud. Everybody knows what chews the cud means, right? Goes in, stays in there, and everything. All right? What has a split hoof but doesn't chew the cud? A horse and most, number one, a pig, right? That's, that's one of the number one things that, that has split. What has, what chews the cud but doesn't have a split hoof? A camel, all right? What is the most unusual clean animal out there? A giraffe. All right, so uh, all right, so it chews the cud and splits the hoof. So, uh, but nonetheless, um, God made a clean animal for everybody. Uh, so, nonetheless, anyhow, so well, well, can we eat pig? You know. Now, before I talk about that, let me just ask you this: Most of us don't have a problem with ninety-nine percent of the list, right? How many of you would like to tonight eat camel, horse? Vulture, skunk, possum, hawk, eagle, or a bat. <laughs> uh, you know, that doesn't probably on most of our diets here this evening. How many of us would like to eat roadkill? You know, that's part of the list too. Don't eat these things. Okay? I believe God has given to them the reasons. And again, I believe first of all, is that this goes back to the number one thing that he's mentioned to him, and that is this. He's mentioning clean and unclean animals. And if you've ever been around pigs very long, well, you don't need to say very much more, all right? The point being is this, is that there are clean animals and there are unclean animals. 
by God's standards. This is God's standards, all right? I believe that God set these apart. Why? Why did he tell them to not eat these animals? Clean and unclean. Set them apart. Holy. What were the Jewish people, the nation, supposed to be? A set-apart people. They were different than the heathen. They were different than everybody else. Okay? They were not the same. That's the whole driving force behind all of what's being said here in chapter 14. You're not the same. Also, there could be some arguments for health reasons to not eat some of these things. But the main reason is the clean and unclean factor. But in the New Testament, you find some very unique things. See, what we do as New Testament Christians is that we take our New Testament and we find in the Old Testament what it says there and we compare the two. And if God's given, what has God given us? God given us new revelation. Well, in Acts chapter number 10, we have in verses 11 through 15, we have Peter right there. He has a cloth that's been let down to him that has all kinds of manner of food upon it, all kinds of manner of animals, clean and unclean. And God says to him, eat, eat that now. He says, I've never eaten anything like that. He says, eat. He says, I've never eaten anything. He says, eat. He says it to him three different times. Now, there's a lot that's to be said with that. But I'll just go on to say this, is that God told him that it's okay. Eat. The second thing is this, is that in Acts chapter number 15, you find that there's only one dietary law given to the Gentiles. Are you a Jew? If you're not a Jew, what are you? A Gentile, right? There's only one dietary law given to the Gentiles. Don't eat blood. And probably most of us would agree, I don't really want to eat blood, all right? How many would like to have a blood popsicle? Okay? They serve those in China, all right? So if you, if you want to. So uh, don't eat blood. Also, 1 Timothy 4 tells us this. He says, be careful and watch out for false prophets. Again, false prophets. What did the false prophets forbid? They forbidden that people should get married. They forbidden that people should abstain from, commanding that we should abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. In fact, this goes back to Genesis chapter number 9 and verse number 3, whenever God told Noah before the law was ever written, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. But in this whole thing of dietary laws, understand this is that we should always, always, always put others first. Okay? You say, what do you mean? I mean this, that we should maintain a spirit of meekness about it. Listen, I've got friends of mine. I've got a, I've got a close, close friend of mine, a good, godly Christian friend of mine. All right? And he does not believe that he should, he should eat pork. All right? Now, when I invite him over to the house, do you think I'm going to smoke up a, a, a rack of St. Louis ribs? And then berate him the whole time about, well, God told Peter that to eat, and I'm going to try to, listen, I'm not going to do any of that. You know why? Because I'm not going to try to make, put a stumbling block in front of my brother. 
I'm not going to try to offend his conscience. When you sin so against the brethren, he says in 1 Corinthians 8, 12, when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Listen, I don't want to sin against Christ. Amen? So if you got a, if you got a conviction about not eating uh, uh, vultures and skunks and possums and everything like that, listen, I won't serve it to you. I promise. All right? All right? But I'm serious, if you've got a conviction about something like that, I'm not going to try to fight you on it. Okay? Paul said, I'd rather, be, I'd rather not eat any meat at all than offend my brothers in Christ. I don't know if I'm, that, I don't know if I'm as spiritual as Paul to go to be a vegetarian. <laughs> all right? I'm just going to be honest with you. But I will say this, is that we ought to do things for Christ. We ought to be willing to give up things for Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 14, he says, God's also concerned about their money. He says, make sure you tithe of all of your resources. Again, they tithed in a different way than we do today. They tithed in oil and corn and wine and the firstlings of the flocks of the herds. That's how they gave. They gave for several different reasons. They gave in order that they might fund the seven feasts and especially the three annual feasts that were at Jerusalem every single year. So they might fund the feasts. Fun, again, back to the national things of Israel. But another thing is this, is that, that, uh, that they might do so, that they might take care of the needs of the Levites. The Levites were the spiritual leaders and preachers of their day and teachers, but also that they might take care of the needs of the stranger, the widow, and the fatherless. And do you think that God today, all of a sudden, that now we're in the New Testament, that God is not concerned about Preachers, strangers, uh, widows, and fatherless, and poor folks anymore? Has God just stopped caring about them because now we're in the New Testament and the Old Testament? I love it how when I talk to people sometimes and say, oh, the Old Testament doesn't apply to us anymore. Oh, really? So God doesn't care about strangers, fatherless, and widows, and poor folk anymore, right? Well, that's not what I mean. I wasn't really trying to say, you know, kind of skirt around the issue. You see, the things here in the Old Testament are oftentimes, so many times, given to us again in the new. So many times. Galatians 2.10, Paul wrote, to the, wrote back to the church at Jerusalem and said, only that they, we, we should remember the poor. He says, the same which I also was forward to do. I always remembered the poor, he said. I always took care of them because that's what Christ would have done. That's what Jesus would have done. And I believe today that we as believers should continue to give back to the Lord. Listen, I would never, ever, ever uh, teach or preach to somebody that's not saved to tithe or give to God. You realize that? I would never teach any of these principles to somebody that was not saved. I would not try to teach them, hey, you need to tithe and give to the Lord. I wouldn't teach them that. You know why? It's because... They haven't got the first thing right. I said it this morning, and I'll say it again. If you heard it this morning, uh, then pardon me. But salvation and living a Christian life has an order to it. The order does not begin with good works. It doesn't begin by not eating pork. 
It doesn't begin by tithing or giving offerings or not getting tattoos. All right? What does it begin with? It begins with Christ. That's where you start at. If I said, church, really growing, God's doing a good work here, I think we need to build another building. All right? I said, but you know, we're going to do something different. We're just going to go out here in the front yard, and John, John's a carpenter, and John, I think it would be good if we just laid down some two-by-fours on the front yard out there, you know, untreated even, not even primed. Put some untreated two-by-fours out here. And, John, I think that would be a good idea. You know what? I believe that if we were to have a building committee and John was the head of it, he'd probably shoot me down. Don't you think so? And John is probably the most, one of the most congenial persons I've ever met in my whole entire life. He's kind and he's gracious. He's very encouraging. But even John would have to tell me, Pastor, uh, you're wrong. <laughs> That's not right. We can't just put down two-by-fours on the, on the ground out there. I said, why is it? Because you need, does anybody know what you need? Can anybody say it? A foundation. You've got to have a foundation. You've got to. We build ours out of concrete or on pier and beams or however you do it. But the fact of the matter is this, is that you need a foundation. And the foundation for the Christian life, for the godly life, for the believer's life, our foundation is Christ. It's Christ. And if you don't have Christ as your foundation, you, my friend, are building, as Jesus said, on sandy soil. And he says, when the winds and the waves blow, great will be the fall of it. But when us that are saved and have been born again by the Spirit of God and have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if we, my friend, whenever the winds and waves blow upon our house and one day when death comes knocking at our door, guess what? That will not be, uh, that will not be a scary day, but rather that will just be an invitation to something that's even better. Glory. Heaven. We as believers have been given some great principles to live out for our lives in these chapters. And may God help us to live them out. May, help, may God help us to be separated from false teaching. And may God help us to learn how to use our bodies in the right and correct way. But if you're not saved here tonight and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then may I encourage you, trust Him tonight. He will save you. With every head bowed and every eye closed.